Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarie, State the Bird, Stephen Means. And we went out to the texters again, but with something very concrete. And that's the word I used in the text. Send us a concrete suggestion of something Ohio State can do to get better, to enhance its chances of beating Michigan next year. And I said that could be going after a certain position to get a player here or there. That could be changing assistant coaches. That could be motivational tactics. It could be a scheme change. It could be anything that you could actually enact other than firing the head coach, because that's not the conversation we're having. We're having anything else that's on the table of, well, you know, this maybe isn't quite working. And so we have about, I have 12 things that I pulled, more than 300 text responses, Nathan and Stephen, a lot along the same lines. And I will say the number one thing was Ryan Day giving up play calling. So I, we're not starting with that. It is it is whatever percent. It probably was 30% of the 300, maybe. Like 100 of the 300 were along those lines. There are a couple different ways people suggested that happening. But I did talk about that a lot on the Rants Pod Tuesday. So I do want you guys to check in on that. But we're not going to start with that. But everyone listening know that, yes, that was a very popular suggestion but I just, I didn't put these in any, I put these in interest, interesting order. You know, you try to make a podcast, you need to bounce back and forth, and you do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Number one, from the 419, every current successful program in America right now has a mobile quarterback. I'm not blaming CJ, but how much better would this offense be if there was a dual threat guy taking snaps? That's Randy from Wapakoneta, where the real astronauts are from, Nathan. Uh <laughs> From the 631, it's Mike in Philly. I was at the game this past weekend, and I bet this is quite an unpopular opinion, but are there any mobile quarterbacks in the portal? I'm thinking somewhere along the lines of the the Toledo quarterback, Daquan Finn. I really think having a mobile quarterback is huge in today's game. Would love to hear your thoughts. And then the last one is, this is like a little more specific from the 614. Start Devin Brown next year. Because is he not the more mobile of the two of Kyle McCord and Devin Brown? Go get all the quarterbacks in the portal. You need some mobility at the position. So there is quite a difference in my mind between a discussion of this C.J. Stroud need to run and 
would perhaps this offense operate more efficiently and effectively with a quarterback who can run, who does have that as part of his game? Maybe it doesn't have to be Justin Fields because Justin Fields is setting running records in the NFL. Steven, you started smirking immediately. So why are you smirking? Because it's just funny to watch this all come full circle. This fan base spent almost a decade pleading for the vertical passing threat quarterback who can throw it all over the place when JT Barrett, who was a mobile quarterback, was here. And then we finally got one in Dwayne Haskins. And then we're four years into this of the vertical passing game quarterback, and everybody's already sick of it and wants the mobile quarterback back. But they don't want JT Barrett. They want Caleb Williams. That's not – okay, there's got to be a middle ground because Caleb Williams is – Probably going to be a number one pick in 2024. What are you talking about? Why shouldn't Ohio State have a quarterback like Caleb Williams? Why is that a silly suggestion? There's not a Caleb Williams. Of course they could go get a quarterback like Caleb Williams if that was a priority for for Ryan Day. They have the capability of recruiting a quarterback like that for sure. Who's another Caleb Williams in college football right now? Bryce Young doesn't run, but Bryce Young, I think, is more mobile and more able to escape pressure. Um, than I think that's, okay. and, that's a, I think Bryce Young is a better example then of something that realistically could be at Ohio State. Not I am not a running quarterback, but I can do this if I'm forced to do this. Caleb Williams is a circus, and it just happens to work. Caleb Williams is the I'm going to get sacked a lot, and I'm probably going to throw a lot of picks when I get, I get the next level. But I'm also going to have just as many 40 yard bombs and elite passing plays to go along with it. So I think bright the Bryce Young model just taller is a better example that I can get along with. I can go along with that idea. Would, would I do think Nathan? It, it is a it is a completely it, again. It is not it is not about once you had CJ. Who, by the way, if C.J. Stroud didn't decide to come to Ohio State, you would have been trying to figure out if your quarterback has to be Jack Miller or Kyle McCord. So C.J. Stroud mm-hmm. saved Ohio State, right? So that it, that it's just a much different conversation of what do you do to take advantage of the skills of the guy that you have versus do you, in recruiting, aim for guys who maybe have a little more of that, Nathan, right? That That is a different conversation. But I think the conversation is always not – it's just are you are you mobile enough? You don't have to be mobile first because uh, then Justin Fields, when he was here, was not even mobile first. He was in a, a kind of extreme example of mobile enough and probably, you know, going beyond that. But here, here's the example yeah, I'll throw. Like a quarterback, a quarterback who over two years rushes for 767 yards and 12 touchdowns, like something like that. Right. That would be like a nice thing to kind of mix in. That's what Joe Burrow did his last two years at LSU. So I think you can have – it, it exists out there to have the big-arm quarterback, the real vertical threat quarterback, who will sprinkle in the run enough to keep teams honest and to take advantage of what's there. And C.J. Stroud doesn't do any of that. But the th- it makes – it's hard with C.J. No, he's not Justin Fields' elusiveness, but he is a strider as a runner. But, but he doesn't give use I'm going to get to that point. Given what Justin Fields is doing right now, it's very clear why like C.J. Stroud doesn't run. The same reason why Justin Fields didn't run more when he was here, and it's because the guy in charge of him doesn't want them running. Justin that's, Fields, the conversation, since, that's the conversation we're having is, should that be something that Ryan Day is more open to and wants more out of his quarterback, right? I mean, we're, we're suggesting should, changes yeah. here. Then CJ yeah. doesn't run. CJ ran for 74 yards the whole year, and 79 of that was against Northwestern. He had one game where he moved, and I was fine with that for him. For him, it's not what he does well. But when you see teams dropping seven, dropping eight, and there are some, there's some open areas underneath, 
And hey, like nobody's open. It's three guys in the route against eight guys in coverage. Hey, maybe I'll take off and get some yards here. And I, he, he did it. And he had the one. There was a play uh, in the game where they had, a, they had a screen. They had a screen mm-hmm. dialed up. And the screen got sniffed out. Again, there were just times where Michigan defenders just like sniffed out what was coming and made good, really good individual plays. They mm-hmm. sniffed out as much as we talk about throw the ball to the back. They had, a, they had a screen set up. And somebody on that side saw it and went with the back and CJ was like, well, I I can't throw that. And then came all the way back to the other side of the field and wound up running and got like five or six yards and ran out of bounds. Right. So like, I think, but I think that might've been it. I think that might've been the one. Right. And again, this is not against CJ. And it's not that I I think CJ is a very good quarterback who's going to have success at the NFL, but in this day and age, when you have people dropping seven and eight or is it just, does it help? Does it help significantly if you a guy have a guy who's just a little more able to do that? And again, not JT Barrett, but Justin Fields is a good example. Joe Burrow's a good example. Bryce and Bryce, again, Bryce does not really run, but he runs a lot. He moves around a lot behind the line of scrimmage to make some things happen. So um I and mean, again, Caleb Williams that, is, <laughs> See, there's plenty does. of times this year where he's ran he just doesn't run forward, but he'll run around yes, back he there. Doesn't. I just I wanna this art, this conversation of the running quarterback turns into so much. CJ doesn't run because he doesn't run want to run. It's more CJ doesn't run because his, co- his coach is telling him not to run. So if the conversation is going to be no one Ryan said Day- nobody not a thing yeah. I read to you said CJ doesn't run because he doesn't want to run. That has been the con- Ohio State. That's not the conversation we're having today. The conversation is what can Ohio State do better and should they have a quarterback who can who can move more? Should they take advantage of that? Right. That's going forward. Is that something Ryan Day should want more of? And it really is. If your point, Stephen, is that it's a Ryan Day discussion as much or, or more than it is a discussion about the individual quarterback, great. But do you think Ryan Day should want that more, Stephen, or no? Do you think, like, drop back, make good reads, that's what this is about, it's more like an NFL thing, you, you don't have to have a guy who's going to go get, you know, run six times a game for 50 yards? No, I, I think Ryan Day should let his quarterback make plays, especially when things break down. Yes, he should have the reason available to him. The reason I read off that six, 767 yards and 12 touchdowns in two seasons for Joe Burrow is because that seems like a very reasonable thing that CJ Stroud probably could have achieved. Like if Joe Burrow could do yeah. that, and I think Joe Burrow probably his athleticism gets diminished sometimes. He's more athletic than CJ. I think Joe right. Burrow is more athletic than CJ. Right. But I'm saying, but what I will say, to go back to what you said, Doug, like where you're saying like having like almost no rushing yards is okay for Stroud. I, I would push back on that. I think, I mean, to have the, the 79 against Northwestern or whatever, 74 against Northwestern, and you're netting five in 11 other games, I don't know if that's enough. If you can, if he can actually do more. He's not a 350-pound Scott Mitchell back there. I mean, he he could he could get out there like 10, 15 now yards back a game. No, I, no, it's not even that. It's not even that. No, I, I agree with the Joe Burrow comparison because most of that was probably scrambling. They weren't designing no, Joe, runs for him. But Joe, we're not asking about design runs. That's true. We're not. It's not about design runs. But Joe, when Joe was here in the quarterback competition with Dwayne Haskins, I thought Joe was like squarely in between JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins. That Joe, if you wanted to run zone read with Joe, you absolutely could. Joe would put his shoulder down and run the ball. He had some JT in him, like a much, much more than Dwayne did. But but the idea, it's not about called runs. It is about, I think, just a guy who, when it's there, can take it. But again, we just, I think you just saw times when 
again, I always said CJ becomes much less dangerous as soon as he crosses the line of scrimmage. And I think even some of those, the play that I keep referencing on the third down in the red zone, that they kicked a field goal to go up 10-3 when they dropped eight. I think if he would have run, I don't think he would have gotten the first down. He himself, maybe other guys would have. I just don't think he would have. So he waited and tried to make a throw. I think if he would have run, he would have gotten four yards and they would have kicked the field goal anyway. But I think that's that's almost the whole argument. Like there, he should be throwing because where you, what you need to get and what you can achieve in a, a very particular uh, time of game scenario would tell you you've got to pass. First quarter uh, at your own 40-yard line, it probably makes more sense to run it there than it maybe to th- than to throw it into a tight situation or take your end zone shot because you're not at the end zone. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I think it's that second thing that just hasn't been there at all no, for the I last do- few years. I do know that they wanted him to take checkdowns, right? It's like that's yes. really the more thing. If it's not there deep, take a checkdown and then mm-hmm. let that guy go run with the ball. And I thought he did some of that. I thought he started doing that more late in the season. And the mm-hmm. chip train him play that should have been a twenty-four yard gain yep. to set them up nearly in the yeah. red zone on what should have been a go-ahead scoring drive if there hadn't been a holding penalty and a headbutt on the same play was a checkdown. Again, that was a legitimate hold on that play. But if you don't hold and you don't headbutt you're starting to march in for the go-ahead touchdown right there. So um, It's a wild combination. Holding and think budding. I do think that, you know, that is that that is something that they wanted, right? That that and usually there's, you know, there's usually a check down out there for you. And then it's a running back running with the ball or a tight end or something running with the ball instead of the quarterback trying to do it. So um in the end, the Devin Brown conversation, and we only have 250 days to talk about who the next starting quarterback of Ohio State is going to be. Is it correct to say that Devin moves around a little bit better than Kyle? Is maybe a little bit more of a threat there than Kyle McCord as we think about that quarterback competition? Yes. He is more yeah, he's more willing, but then also has that capability. How much, Nathan, should that factor into as that, that decision is being made? Would that be a plus on the side of whichever guy is more able to do that? Well, I think it, it's a plus, but I think do you take um, someone who's the lesser quarterback in all these other areas because he's a plus mm-hmm. there? I wouldn't do that. I, I, I mean, these are the two guys you have. So if if Kyle McCord is the one who is more prepared to run the offense, and it's and especially if it's by a significant degree by the estimation of, of Ryan Day and Corey Dennis and whoever else, Ryan Day, then, <laughs> then it should be Kyle McCord. If it's close, maybe you let that be part of the 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 uh, tie-breaking um, um, details because I, I as I, I I do think it is an element that has lacked here the last two years. And again, in the end, we have to remember that C.J. Stroud was not a master plan. C.J. Stroud was a whoop. Uh, our quarterback recruiting. Oh my gosh, all of our guys love this guy. Holy moly, he's popping at the end. Let's go get him as a second quarterback in that class. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, he's the guy. And again, if C.J. Stroud had been like, ah, I'm going to UCLA. I don't know. I don't know who Ohio State's quarterback would have been the last two years. I mean, I don't know. I guess it could have been Jack Miller. I guess it could have been Kyle McCord. But C.J. Stroud was certainly the better option, was the best option on the roster. And so the the thing, though, that we had talked about, Stephen, is was C.J. Stroud, and we talked about this during the year, was C.J. Stroud like the next evolution of what Ryan Day wanted in a quarterback? And that is a quarterback who does not move around as well. And is not, especially like, I mean, it's night and day compared to Justin, but also it's just not as good as, it's not as good as J.J. McCarthy. 
mm-hmm. um, do we still believe that? That like the 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 evolution, the ultimate evolution of the Ryan Day quarterback is a guy who really is not that much of a threat with his feet. I do think that part of it will change a little bit because the three, the mobile quarterbacks are what really killed this defense this year. Even if they, if JJ was the only one who ended up with a win, but I do think uh, this season will force Ryan, Ryan Day's gonna have to think about a lot. I think that's one of the things that you'll see him maybe take his hands off a little bit more and allow his quarterback to have a little bit more freedom, especially if McCord wins the job. I understand he only started one game, and we've seen him a limited amount, but he's been in the system for three years, and he know, at least knows what he's doing. We're, we're seeing if he's capable of actually doing it or not a year from now, if Devin Brown doesn't beat him out. But Ryan Day might have to take his hands off of a lot in the coming years here, and maybe that's that's a simple thing you can start with is, hey, Kyle, or hey, Devin, every, they dropped eight everybody's covered. The check down is not available to you, but there's six free yards you can go get. He should be, your quarterback should be allowed to go get those without having to second guess it. And now it looks bad in a still picture of look at all these yards that your starting quarterback didn't go get. But do you believe that if like Ryan Day had just said, CJ, take it whenever you want, that CJ really would have been more of a run threat. You've seen him when he runs, right? He gets across the line of scrimmage, and it's like it looks like he's, he's going a strider. To sometimes he is a he is definitely a strider who picks up speed as he can. He can't laterally; it's not there. Ah, uh-uh. going straight, it's decent. I think three times a game, which is significantly more than he does now. Three times a game, I think some of those scrambles would have been instead of throwaways, he would have tried to go get something. I just think it's not his game at all. So, and which again is everybody has strengths and weaknesses. So, um, okay. So that, that idea, like what's a concrete thing, start leaning or looking toward a quarterback who's more mobile. That's a concrete thing. It's a football thing that you can suggest. Here's another pretty concrete thing, Nathan. And this was one, again, this came up multiple, multiple times with people. And this is one that came up during the year. And I don't have a great answer for this. It has to be on near the top of the things that we ask about the next time we talk to Ohio State, among the millions of things to ask about. From the 614, they need to p- replace Mickey Marotti. The soul of the program needs a reset. From the 440, fire Marotti and the strength and conditioning staff. They seem soft, penalties and composure. I don't know if you can put the penalties on the strength and conditioning staff. <laughs> and the soft tissue injuries are seriously concerning. The fact that the best receiver on the team was lost for the whole year with hamstring stuff and that a guy that they thought was going to contribute as a cornerback missed the first half of the season due to hamstring stuff. I do think soft tissue injuries when they uh, are happening to more than one guy are worth asking about. And listen, I don't, I think Mickey Marotti has been very good at his job and he's the, the head coach of the off season. And we understand all those things that he was, but I also understand the idea that, that maybe, you just change stuff sometimes, right? And not, not quite change for the sake of change, but I do think new voice, fresh voice is not a terrible thing to factor in to whether you should change things or not. So I don't know enough to say change those guys. I do think we have to ask about the soft tissue injuries, but it's a concrete thing, Nathan. What, and Mickey Marotti would get a job in a second. Right. I mean, it's not like this guy is very well established in the strength conditioning com- community, and we are not going to pretend to be strength and conditioning experts. But they've been hearing that voice every offseason for a decade plus now, this entire program. And that can be good or it can be too much of the same. So, Nathan, what do you think generally of that suggestion? So, I've been. S- a little bit struggling with this because I haven't 
quite decided whether I think, in terms of even the soft tissue injuries, were there was there an epidemic of soft tissue injuries, or was there an epidemic of them within the small subset of guys on the team where it mattered the most? You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was star receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trevin Henderson apparently dealing with some some stuff. Uh, obviously, obviously dealing with some stuff, but he specified that it was a broken bone and ligaments and things in his foot. Um, Jordan Hancock, like you said, like it hit the places where they could, where it would make the most impact. You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't have a third string defensive. But, so, so I, so listen, there's when that. you have injuries, you evaluate. I mean, people, when you have any kind of multiple injuries in off season, you often evaluate the training staff for the strength sure, and conditioning sure, staff. That's sure. something you, you ask about. Sure, I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just trying to differentiate there, though. It wasn't like there were 20 guys out. It just happened to hit the like the hardest. The, the guys where it mattered the most. But, but the guys also the most reps in practice. But also, well, yeah, maybe that too. Um, but but I also I do I do agree with the sentiment of what you're saying. It, it it comes down to how much is that voice that's been there that long. Like how much is that person willing to adapt? Because sometimes. Uh, having that voice there for that long is good, but as long as they're also progressive and 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 making the the changes and kind of keeping up with the game, is that person kind of getting left behind as other advancements and things happen? And uh, I I I don't know specifically how I feel about that relative to, to Mickey Marotti, but I think just in general that's the question. Like, is that person just getting uh, left behind? I guess is the best way to say it. And I do think even like hamstring injuries, like is that the strength and conditioning staff? Or is that the training yeah, staff, right? Because I do think the thing that came up is they had multiple guys who got hurt and then tried to came, come back and then mm-hmm. reactivated it. Yep. Yeah. Both Mayan and Trey all year kind of had the in and the out, right? And and Mayan had like two very separate things. He had like the hand and he had the foot. Like so that's and he had some a of knee the thing too. But 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 Jordan Hancock that that like. That felt like he was going to be ready sooner than he was, and it kept going and going and going and going. And that Jackson got hurt and then tried to come back and reaggravated it, and then we never saw him again. Like those kind of things, like that, you know, the strategy of getting players back to full health, whatever the intentions were, like it didn't work. They seem to have lingering things with multiple guys, and I do think that's at least worth asking about. Yeah, I, I think the process needs to be questioned on how you get to a point where you feel like a player is ready to play because I mean, Travion Henderson, uh, he came out and said the, the, some torn ligaments and a broken bone in his foot. That explains why he wasn't putting his foot in the ground and hitting holes the way he should have. But it also, it's, it's like, why is he playing football again? He should probably just like sit down regardless of, I understand athletes are excited to play sports. That is never going to change. At some point, somebody has got to go, two torn ligaments and a broken bone. You literally cannot do the thing that you're supposed to be doing as a running back. Probably should sit out. And with Jackson Smith, the Jigba, it's the proof is in the pudding. He got hurt. He sat out basically what? Two, three weeks. Then he got hurt again. Immediately sat out a month, came back, got hurt immediately. It felt like Jordan Hancock was on this stop and go thing where we'd Ryan day was like, yeah, we're optimistic. And it's like, yeah, eh, we're optimistic. Eh, it was just in the Maya Williams, the same thing. It, it, it never felt like, any of these injuries had a necessary a chance to fully heal or get to a point that any of them should have been on the field at the points that they were on the field this year. So maybe maybe that's not a strength and conditioning thing because physically these players look great. I mean, I mean they look like they're in better shape than we are, but I don't know what that means. It, but I ran today. I'm happy for you, man. 
What about you, Nathan? Did you do anything physical today? I have been up and down the stairs, either to my basement or between the first and second floor, several times. I don't want to brag, but like several times. Cool. Five. Cool. I mean, five, I work out six times. Okay. Well, that, that's good. You get your steps in. I worked out this morning, so I mean, I'm still a gap between you know what I am and what they are. So, but the point of the matter, it feels like the decision making around how they handled a lot of these. Is, these injuries, especially the significant ones, whether they're soft tissue or bone, need to be questioned. And I don't know completely who who is the who should be the face of that, whether it's Mick Marathi, whether it's Ryan Day, whether it's somebody in the training staff or the medical staff. But somebody's got to answer for the fact that every time someone who had a serious injury got put right back onto the field, they re-injured it immediately. It is odd. The, Jackson, the Jackson's injury, what happened in the opener against Notre Dame? ended his season basically is like, wow, like I don't think anybody mm-hmm. would have thought that in the moment of like, well, that's it. He's done. Like, what? He thought it was like a, he'd be ready the next week, potentially like maybe a game. So, I mean, that's, it's just hard to wrap your head around. Didn't even look like a hamstring injury at first. It looked like he got hit in the head. Like we didn't know exactly why he was coming out. Then to have that spiral the way it is. Yeah. It just, that it was the first bizarre moment in a season. I had several of them. And I am not at fire, right? I am at question. Ask, yes. explain, wonder, where can you get better? What can you do next time? Uh, from the 312, is stay healthy a realistic suggestion? Just saying. <laughs> Mike in Wheaton, Illinois. I mean, that idea of, you know, they still have a lot of really good players. But again, uh, and even I just thought, and you can't count on offensive line health. There was just like, there was a play against Michigan, I think on a third down maybe where, He's doing the best he can, but Enoch Vamahi got knocked backwards and mm-hmm. let a guy through and to pressure CJ and like it ended ruined the play. I think it might have been on the third down. It was like, man, mm-hmm. they missed Matt Jones on that play. And then we kind of mostly saw Josh Fryer after that. And even like that little thing, that was like one little thing where we thought when Matt Jones got hurt, listen, Matt Jones has been kind of dealing with something all year. They'll put in Vamahi or Fryer and they'll they'll probably be okay because Matt Jones is better than them because he beat him out. But Matt Jones had been compromised. And then like there was a play where it was like, wow, that right guard being hurt really mattered right there. And so then you go through Jackson Smith and Jigba and you go through Jordan Hancock and you go through the games that Denzel Burke missed and the Cam Brown missed and obviously Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. And they have enough good players and everybody has injuries. But like they're, you know, if they had been significantly healthier than they were, that would have helped them be a better team. All right, quick break. When we come back, more suggestions on how to make the Buckeyes better for the Michigan game next year, next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're taking these from our tech subscribers. I had this on my list of ideas, and it's based off, kind of off like real life Wednesdays. This was Chris um, in Texas via Warren, Ohio. Have a guest speaker, player, and coach from two different eras, Cooper or Trestle, kind of like Urban Meyer, whatever. One speaks on Friday and the other on Saturday before the game. So like have them in game week, but then also this idea more specifically, and this is from our guy, Joseph in Atlanta. He and I share, I share ideas. Sometimes Buckeye legends, Tuesday, feel free to change the name or the day. I was going to call it the game Thursday. Every week on the same day, one Buckeye who played or coached against the team up North comes in for a few minutes, to talk in the team meeting about the game. Could be a guy like urban for motivation, a player like Troy to talk about how they executed someone from the Cooper era to talk about those physical battles. Maybe a guy from the 10 year war to talk about the physical battles, no specific agenda or requirements. Just here's 10 minutes to explain something about the rivalry in whatever way is important to you. But every week it's there to help guys, especially the non-Ohioans realize just what's special about the game and how to treat it differently. They do this right. Real life Wednesdays. We're going to have a CEO Mm -hmm. come in and get you ready for life. 
So on another day of the week, we're going to have somebody come in and get you ready for the game. Steven, I kind of like it. I like it too. And I'm kind of disappointed this is not already a thing, both from the program standpoint, but then also from the former player standpoint. And the reason why I'm, I feel this way is right after that game, everybody, when you're done doing something, it becomes back in my day. You never made a bad play in your life and everything when you were doing something was perfect and whatnot. But just the amount of former players who were publicly chastising people within the program, especially the players. I mean, this is we talk about it, culture, brotherhood, all that stuff. How about instead of being on Twitter, how about you go over to the Woody where Ryan Day has opened the door. Literally every coach, whether it's Ryan Day, Urban Meyer, Jim Trussell, who has been there, has opened the doors to the Woody. You can go in there as a former player whenever you want. You can get a haircut. You can use the facilities to work out. You can use the basketball court in there. You can use the field. You can do whatever you want in there anytime. And there are some former players who do that, like Bobby Carpenter's in there all the time. But there were way too many former players who were doing this back in my day. Oh, we would never let this happen. And chiming in along the same way a fan would instead of using the open door that has been given to you to go do this exact thing this texter is talking about whether you're talking about the rivalry or whether you're just taking somebody under your wing the way that cardell jones has the way that bobby carpenter does uh braxton miller's been in there he had a whole camp this summer former players should be doing that stuff these Current players are going to hear enough from us as media members and fans who are going to be angry at the fact that they lost the Michigan game. You guys can actually go do something about it. And that that was very disappointing to see the way that some of these former players were acting towards people who are currently in the program that you should be kind of being big brother to some of these guys. I love this idea. You ready for it, Nathan? The game Thursday? Sorry, Joseph, we're changing it to the well, game Thursday. I No, I think you should have... Uh, Great players from the past come in and talk about it, and you should have former captains and guys who are the like inspira- more inspirational side of things, and they can come in, and you could call it legends and leaders. Oh, I like it. No, that's good. No, that's good. So, so, uh, but, so there's that side. Of- go, go ahead. Go PTSD ahead. of the old Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> but to finish it, I, I, I listen. I I know why people want it to go there. I just never got a vibe around this team this year that they weren't fully invested in how how much they wanted to win this game. Now, maybe there's a, 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 some hairs to be split in the difference between... But they didn't um, win. I mean, like, they didn't right, win. Right, right. So. Okay, but, but I guess my point is that I, I'm coming around on it, though, the more motivational side of things, um, just because, again, as I said, I've, I've said before, you know, there's a separation now. Like, Ohio State is the is the lesser of the two teams and is chasing Michigan, and you have to find something else. You have to find the extra level to get to that. So if it takes something like this, then then so be it. So there is part of that. There is like there is different ways to emphasize the game, right? This is sort of the intangible side of things. It, it, you can make a tangible change that emphasizes the intangible, but then there is the other side of this. And and I really thought this was interesting, and I'm going to throw it in here. It's from the 919, long-time listener, new subscriber, first-time texting, and they brought it right off the bat. This will be controversial, but stop taking the game so seriously. I think we're so hyper-focused on it that the coaches and players clam up and change things for the worse. Sure, it's important. Sure, it's the rivalry. Sure, there's a lot on the line, but it's still ultimately a game like any other with the same rules as always. Relax. Play your game. Don't double and triple think yourself to death. Don't change everything for the other team. Honestly, I think Jim Harbaugh has figured this out. 
His pregame discussions were almost comically lighthearted, talking about having mm. fun, enjoying the game, having at it. At first, I thought he was bluffing, but I was at my first in-person game at the Shoe on Saturday. Our team looked tense, hesitant, concerned, and indecisive. They lo- Michigan looked relaxed, smiled a lot, enjoyed themselves, and just played their game. So, did Jim Harbaugh, did Michigan flip it by figuring out how to emphasize the game? Or did Michigan flip it by figuring out how to not emphasize the game so much, right? That they had the whole revenge tour before, and the revenge tour, the bus broke down. This Jim Harbaugh was like, oh, we're all superheroes. Both sides are superheroes. What what an honor it is to play in a game like this. I know exactly what this texter is saying. How do you know, right? Which way is better? But Stephen, it's like, okay, you can say, well, maybe Ohio State doesn't emphasize it enough. They, they need to lean into to Legends and Leaders Thursdays all year. Or maybe it's like, just have a good time, week of the game, man, and see what's up. I, I, I understand where this texture's coming from. Way to come out of the barn with a, with a nice first text. That's a very different perspective that is pretty interesting. I think there's a middle ground between the two. And I think that's where Harbaugh is living, where... I, I mean, if you go to Ann Arbor and you're in their football and you're in the facilities and stuff, they're probably driving themselves crazy at certain times. But time and place, right? It doesn't – they're not crossing out the O's up in Ann Arbor that week of the game. And it, it, there's just things – at Ohio State, it's become a culture to hate Michigan while it feels like at Michigan, it's the rivalry game, if that makes sense. It's this thing that's a big deal during the week – while down here in Columbus, it's a big deal every single day. Like, is Alabama living the Auburn rivalry 365 days a year? I don't, is know. US, I don't cover is Alabama. U- I'm just no. I'm just throwing out. I'm just spitballing. Is USC living the UCLA rivalry 365 so listen, it's the greatest, days a year? But we also, but we can't also say it's the greatest rivalry in college sports. I know. Like, I know. But, is Alabama? But, but I think yeah. that's part of what this texture is getting at here. Why does it need to be the greatest? Let it just be well, a rivalry game, but don't make it this end all be all, which is what it is right. when it's the greatest well, rivalry in sports. But but then if that's true, then it's not a catastrophe if he loses again next year. That's, I, I so, think that's their point. So, so I do think this. I do think Ohio State and Michigan do always do take the rivalry different from mm-hmm. different perspectives. I do think Ohio State hates Michigan more than Michigan hates Ohio State, and I don't think the answer is like hate Michigan less, right? I don't think the answer is like stop putting X's over the M's, right? I like you don't like you said they don't do that at Michigan. Um, I don't know that you know the the governor of Michigan. I don't think was like sending out proclamations about like yeah. Um, Ryan Day was born on third base the way that the guy for the old, you know, speechwriter for John Kasich used to do. So I don't think you have to ask Ohio State um, to hate Michigan less. I do think there could be a path toward somehow emphasize it more 51 weeks out of the year and emphasize it less the week of the game. Right. We're going to take it seriously. And then once we get there, we're going to be like, hey, we prepped this all year. Let's enjoy this rivalry now because we busted our butts all year figuring out why it matters and how we're going to beat them. Right. Maybe there's some of that. In the end, Nathan, you want your team to be prepared, confident and not uptight. So whatever gets you to that is what you want. And is it is, is do you get there by doing it more or by doing it less? And I don't know. Well, the other thing to remember, though, is that the Michigan game acts actually i'll say it a different way the emphasis on the michigan game is acts as a vessel for how you become better over the course of the year in all ways 
like the, all those those Michigan drills that you do and everything. Like, are you doing enough today to beat Michigan? Well, that also helps you win at Penn State. It helps you beat Notre Dame, and it helps you win all the other games too. So, and also from talking to the the families that we did for that that piece last week. I talked to multiple uh, parents who I would try to ask, like, hey, like, so are they talking specifically about Michigan? Have you heard them drop Michigan, like, during the season? Like, oh, this is motivating me now. And they said, no, actually, not that much. Like, they still talk about how much they want to win that game, but they're not, for instance, watching film about Michigan. Like, it, it, I think this team already had that balance a little bit between how much they care about that game and how much it motivates them, but keeping the focus each week during the season on the task ahead of them, which is why they were 11 and 0 when that game came up. Now, as you just said to the last thing we we're talking about, they didn't win the game. So I, there, there does need to be a tweak here, I think, because clearly the approach the last two years hasn't worked. You have nothing to lose by tweaking at this point. I, I think I agree. The whole, Go crazy about it for 51 weeks, but then the actual week of the game, maybe enjoy it a little bit more. I mean, one thing you can do is stop. They don't do this every week for scout team, but the scout team players, they wear Michigan helmets. They just put a bunch of blue tape over it. How about you just stop doing that and treat it like just that week is when you get to focus on the foot, the actual football element of things. Because even this year, they didn't get bullied around and pushed around. They just lost the football game from the X's and O's standpoint. Because, you know, Jim Knowles made some bad calls and some bad moments. Ryan Day made some bad calls with some bad moments, but it was a football loss. So maybe if you take all that extra stuff out of it that week from inside the program and just treat this like we're trying to go win another football game, then maybe, I don't know, take some of the headache out of it maybe. But I would also argue that Michigan mentally out-executed Ohio State on the field too. Yes, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dispute that there weren't coaching failures in play oh, yeah, on both yeah, sides. Yeah, for sure. But one team clearly executed better and and thought through the football game, however you want to say yeah. that, better. And so what can Ohio State tweak that gets them closer to what Michigan's headspace is on the day of the game? Because that's what's winning right now. All right. This is a very specific, more like tangible football thing. From the two oh six, don't have a special teams coach. And then someone got even more specific, and this really intrigued me. This I said, give me a concrete suggestion. For the 937, get rid of Parker Fleming, the special teams coach. And I think this is less of, hey, Parker Fleming should be fired as a special teams coach, and hey, I'm not sure that that's where they should use one of their 10 assistant spots and a full-time special teams coach. Get rid of Parker Fleming. Hired James Laurinaitis as the linebackers coach so Knowles can focus on the scheme. Like, if you're telling me, like, that's your concrete, Fleming out, Laurinaitis in, Nathan, I feel I'm, I would do that tomorrow. That's concrete. I like let, how let, concrete Let Knowles is. go be a mad schemer, right? He can still be involved. Laurinaitis also is going to go beat in the bushes in recruiting for linebackers, which would certainly be helpful. If Knowles wants to dip down and help, you know – when you're, then you're you're everywhere at once, right? Yeah, let me go work with the defensive tackles for a little bit. Oh, let me go talk to the safeties. You're the defensive coordinator. I think we've talked about it before, Nathan. It's not the first time that we have suggested, hey, don't they? Couldn't they use another defensive coach on this team with an offensive head coach and five offensive assistants and only four defensive assistants and a full time special teams guy? Are you even more in on this now? Yeah, and actually preparing for this, I started putting together my own list of things that I thought would make sense. And the first thing I wrote down on my notes was that the assistant coaching staff, as we've talked about many times, it, 
I, it just it doesn't make sense to me, and they've got to tweak it. I, and I think, it, and it really has nothing to do with Parker Fleming and or Corey Dennis, but those are the two that I would change. I think you either go without a quarterbacks coach or you go find a, a special, if you're going to keep a special teams coordinator, then go find one that has a defensive background who can help you on your defensive staff, help you with recruiting more, help you with actual instruction more, because the way that they have this set up now just feels inadequate. And it's felt inadequate to us for a couple of years. And it, if, if you're, if it's then showing up in the results of the most important game of your season, then again, you almost have nothing to lose. And it's, it is no judgment of mine on either the performance of Corey Dennis or uh, Parker Fleming. But I also don't know that we've seen in either of those guys, like do we think Parker Fleming is coaching special teams up and scheming special teams up to such an extent that it makes up for the imbalance that it leaves in the coaching staff. And I would say no. I mean, special teams had a lot of issues this year, uh, whether it's muff punts or having guys up too far or what. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, Corey, De- uh, Corey Dennis has at least he's recruited. I, I understand he's he's recruiting while also having the reputation flag that he gets to wave, but he's still recruiting. That's his primary job there. I, I think this conversation, I love it. I love the idea of Jim Knowles just being a schemer and then somebody else can be the linebackers coach. I don't know if Laurinaitis is the guy for that or not. He's just starting his coaching career. So we'll see if he's actually good or not. Just because you were good at playing something doesn't mean you're going to be good at coaching it. But this conversation might not matter in three months if the NCAA gets rid of that coach, assistant coach limit anyway, because then they can yeah. just do this. Jim Knowles can just go be the schemer, and you can have a linebacker's coach, and you can have a cornerback's coach. You can have a nickel safeties coach. You can have a free safeties coach. You can have as many as you want to have. So I do like the idea of Jim Knowles take his attention away from having to deal with individual development and let him just be the guy overseeing from above who walks around the different position rooms, sees what's going on, maybe spend a little bit of time here. But then other than that, he can spend as much time as he wants to in his office coming up with every scheme under the book. And listen, Greg Schiano did this when he came back. No, when he came back, he had a position. And I think right, they added he the 10th assistant. Yeah, And Alex Grinch came in, and then he was just the defensive coordinator, and I thought he schemed himself into oblivion because he didn't have anybody to coach. And he was like, oh, let me go see if what if we put Pete Warner and had him ride piggyback on mm. a defensive tackle? And I was like, what are you doing? Stop scheming. So listen, like if it works, then it's good, and if it doesn't work, then it's bad. But I am, to your point, Stephen, and you've mentioned that before, maybe it's a moot point because there's not going to be a limit. But as long as there's a limit... I think yeah. they could do better with one of the spots than full-time special teams, and they could do better by having another defensive voice in that room. And I actually think it seems like James Laurinaitis is getting good reviews at Notre Dame, and not that you only have to hire Buckeyes. I have a secret Buckeye to hire that we're going to get to later in the podcast. But um, I think he also would be like a, a reasonable thing. I mean, I think there might be some James – excuse me. There might be some Mike Vrabel in James Laurinaitis. If like a guy who played and then maybe didn't – like a Brian Hart, like you know, some of these guys, it's like they don't need – maybe a ton of experience um, before they jump into like a pretty, a, a bigger coaching role because like they lived it for so long. So uh, I do think that is an, an interesting direct one. This was probably the number two thing, the one I'm about to do behind play calling. And it is, uh, what should I say this? From the two, five, three transfer, transfer portal for corners from the two, one, six, Hit the transfer portal hard for starting left tackle, starting DB, starting slot wide receiver, and look hard at the best available quarterback like they looked at um, 
some other guy. I, I guess they might have looked at somebody after Justin Fields. But the main thing is the corners, right? Someone else said about physical corners. Defensive back aggressiveness needs to be addressed. Our DBs featuring Jeff Okuda, Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore, Eli Apple were physical corners. Our DBs the past three years have been afraid of contact and lacking making plays on the ball. I don't know that they're like afraid of contact, but I do think like you think sometimes of like the way Jeff Okuda would come up and make plays, right? Kind of in the run game, Jeff Okuda would attack stuff. Denzel Ward would stink and attack you, man. Mm. Marshawn Lattimore was physical. Marshawn Lattimore was on you, right? Just physical. I do think the physicality, um, I think I think we understand what they're saying. From the 419, find the sauce gardener currently playing college football and convince him to come to Ohio State. And then someone even got more specific about that. Mike from the 646, easy. Find the best freshman corner not playing for a top five team. Get Cardale and Schottenstein to put together a big (laughs) NIL deal and tell this person that he is all that is standing between the Buckeyes and the 2023 or 24 national championship. Interesting. And then the last one, because there's, there's an example of this, and this came up in the offseason from the 614. Ryan Day needs to use the portal more. I remember when Eli Ricks was about ready to go to Ohio State and Ryan Day turned him down. If we want to compete, we need to take more advantage of the portal. So the idea of they they were they kind of didn't go in the portal for corners this offseason because they wanted to leave room for J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock in year two to step up. And they didn't want to like come in and, and sort of dump on dump somebody in front of them uh, in the pecking order, Nathan. And then you look at the way the season evolved. Do you think a they should get a corner in the portal, and do you think b that Ryan Day should be more aggressive in the portal, the way that you know Nick Saban has added starting running backs and starting tackles and starting receivers, and not worried about who's jumping who. Should Ohio State do it more? It, it is one's a specific conversation, one is a theoretical big picture conversation. It's tricky because if 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 Ohio State had known Jordan Hancock was going to miss the first half of the year, then maybe they would have taken Eli Ricks. Like it's but but you don't know that at the time and it changes everything. And maybe they wouldn't have you do. I don't know. But I I listen, I think they would have been more aggressive in the portal last year, and I guess maybe that's a conversation. What does aggressive in the portal mean? Like we know who was actually in the portal and we know that outside of Ricks, there was not a lot of cornerback talent in the portal last year. Like we <laughs> watched that happen. Like we, we kept, like I took a bunch of questions from texters all summer being like, Hey, why isn't Ohio state going to find a DB in the portal? I'm like, who, like wh- what guy are you talking about? They're not, the guys that they're there are not better than Cam Brown and not better than the guys that Ohio state had. You know, but they also, we think they could have had Ricks. I think that, that, for, that's like, not like speculation. For, that's not right. speculation. They, they, no, they could have had Ricks. Part of the reason they didn't go get Ricks is because of his own health history and his struggle staying healthy. He played eight games this year and had five tackles. And so he, him being here, he, he like was 450 snaps and Ohio State played Jair Brown as a true freshman in important moments in the He was game. hurt this year. Eli Ricks also got hurt. hurt. But he played he played 400 snaps. He was hurt at the beginning of the year, and then he played after that. We can't act like Eli Ricks didn't do anything for Alabama. How many? He played like a lot of snaps. It's not like he, he would have helped them. If Eli Ricks was here, he would have played like every snap of the Michigan game. And partially I understand because, that Ohio State had cornerback injuries. Right. Partially because Hancock got hurt for Ohio State. So that's it, that's a, I think that's a tough question sometimes in the portal. It's like, I think what Ohio State was saying as far as not wanting but, to stunt the development of its players was true, but you don't always know that those players are actually going to get through a season themselves. 
but also you they had a philosophy of we're going to lean on our own guys and not just bring in a bunch of guys on top of our guys unless there's a, an obvious hole, right? And we we all know the examples. So was there an obvious hole at corner in the offseason? No, because we all thought that Hancock and Johnson would be ready and Denzel Burke was back and Cam Brown. And so, no, not a hole. But they also had six scholarship cornerbacks on the entire roster. And we talked about that in the whole preseason. Yes. So once they mm-hmm. had like one or two injuries, all of a sudden they were thin at corner. They certainly could have taken an experienced corner. And maybe he jumps the line and maybe someone's feelings get hurt. And then if you do it too much, then all of a sudden you're in and out on the portal. You get a guy in, but then somebody else leaves. I understand that. But I do think you could have made a case that, well, yeah, I mean, injuries happen. Just You only have six corners, and even the guys you have like aren't that experienced. Get everybody you can get. No, I think there's, there's like, something I, to I think that's that. a reasonable discussion, And there's a, but there was a philosophy, and should the philosophy change, I think is a – I'm not saying it should, but I think we, we told people what we believed Ohio State's portal philosophy to be, and Ryan Day basically said it all himself anyway. So should they adjust that, I think, is, is a reasonable – question or well, suggestion and that's why i made the point of this is who we knew was in the portal and basing it on that because i think one of the philosophical questions to ask is this concept of the bat signal that we've thrown out there before where you put it out there through whatever channels that you need this position and you're not and i know that they maybe feel like that's a little bit um slimy and don't want to work it that way but i think that's just the reality of the world now and i actually think there's another position it was like the second thing on my list that they have to do this with in the off season and it's not cornerback. I think they cannot right, so, mess around at left tackle. So we need from the four, four, we need two starting caliber offensive linemen in the portal to beat Michigan next year. Yeah. Dewan and Paris are likely gone. Yeah. So is that, that is like how important you guys both think like tackle in the portal is what's your suggestion is. It's not even a suggestion. It's almost a must tackle I, in the portal. I, I, I mean, you got to go get some starters and quite frankly, you might even need to go get some, some some backups as well because no proven guys at tackle we have in theory with Josh Pryor and um, Zen Maholski but nothing that's proven you might need to go really get some depth at that position because Paris Paris and Dewan stayed healthy all this year but it was always a knock on wood what happens if one of those two guys get hurt you can't keep living in that world every single year so yes that's one two three and four on the list the corner situation it's really hard to evaluate because they were weren't healthy all year. And so we never really got to see, maybe Jordan Hancock would have been the answer had he been healthy, but it, I mean, he missed half the, the first half of the season with what he was doing, dealing with. And then he was like in and out of the lineup after, after that, for whatever well, yeah, we the know, reason but is. Should they have taken, but whether you don't know if guys are going to get hurt or not, but, but hindsight being 2020, should they have taken Eli Ricks? And I know there weren't many other guys, but they, Eli Ricks was there. Should they have probably, taken Yeah. Him? Now that, yeah, now sure. Hindsight 2020. Yeah. They probably should have taken Eli Ricks. Because even, again, if he was, six- even, when, right, even if he was dealing with injuries, at least that's another dude you can count on that you know when he is healthy. Well, he's shutting – some of the issues, the, the tackling issues against Michigan probably don't happen. But but there might have been attrition that left you with six guys anyway is the whole quest. That's the conundrum with him. But as it comes to, to tackle, I mean, I don't care what guys were ranked. Like Michigan had the better offensive line the past two years as a unit, no question. And one of the ways that Michigan did that was they went and got – um, Oluwatimi from Virginia in the portal last year. They brought in a tremendous starting center to make their already good offensive line even better. Mm-hmm. Like Ohio State needs to, um, like I, I don't. I think it's absolutely almost like a must 
for this offseason. Like you, they they don't have championship caliber tackles on this offensive line from what we've seen. I don't want to make too much. I, I don't. I'm not trying to criticize Josh Fryer, but you had a really good game against Indiana. Yeah, I, no, I, mean, I it's think not that's Josh Fryer's fault. It's it's Ohio State that they're at a right. position where a guy who was a recruit in the 500 is potentially number one of all their tackle options for the 2023 season. That's not Josh Fryer's fault. I do think this right, year right. is the first time where there's multiple positions where you can genuinely sell a battle. Because even to Nathan's point, yes, Michigan had the better offensive line the last few years. But were you going to be able to sell? They had a tackle that they were trying to get. I can't remember his name. I think he ended up at Florida or LSU. But mm-hmm. you really couldn't sell that kid on coming to start because Paris Johnson was your left tackle and Dewan Jones was your right tackle. You can sell every tackle that enters the portal, come win this job, because we genuinely do not believe in the guys on our roster right now. And maybe you feel that way about corner, maybe you don't. But I do know at tackle, there is nothing, there is no, oh, we're worried about how Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson, Denzel Burke might take that because there is no J.K. Johnson, Jordan Hancock, and Denzel Burke right now in that room. Bama's left tackle, right? This year was it from Vanderbilt? He was. So, you know. Um, okay. Here's a, here's a little one. I thought this was a good little one. Concrete from the 704. I think Ohio State should uh, try to poach an assistant from Michigan so they'll be able to be more familiar with Michigan's personnel. After Ryan Day took over, he went and took two assistants from Michigan staff and now Washington and Greg Madison, and they dropped 56 on them the next year. A lot of Michigan's current assistants are alumni, so it's unlikely they'll have that they would leave for Ohio State. The one who might be the most realistic is their co-defensive coordinator slash defensive backs coach and Youngstown, Ohio native Steve Klinksale, who is one of the few assistants that isn't a Michigan alum. Ryan Day should try to get him to come to Ohio State with the same role and title. So we don't have to have a huge discussion, but like, I love that. Like, How concrete is it? Is Go steal the guy on Michigan staff who's from Youngstown. Go steal him because it worked with Al Washington. So I, I like it that did. idea. Until it did. Until it did. Right. No, I, well, it worked. I mean, it worked like the first year, right? They won. Yeah, they when, he, when he inherited yeah. a veteran group of linebackers who were already developed. Yes. I actually yeah. think this is one where you can solve two problems in, at one time. If you think you want to take play calling away from Ryan Day, go get Matt Weiss to come be your offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. We're not there yet. We're not at the play or, discussion yet. Okay. Don't suggest a play caller. Okay. You're not going to suggest a play caller. We're not there yet. We're going to get there. Okay. Uh, I have a guy. If you if you do think um, if you if you want to still have a special teams coach, but you're not sold on Parker Fleming, but you're going to expand the staff and you still want that, I do have a name that you could get for a special teams coach. Jay Harbaugh. Throw like three million at him. It's like how do you blow? How do you get? Oh oh, you beat us twice in a row. Well, I took your kid. I offered your kid $1.8 million to teach the long snapper how to snap it to the punter. How do you like that, Jim? That's all good I until it come, it's going to come. Your kid. Come, it'll come back to bite you in the butt in like five years when <laughs> RJ Day commits to Michigan. I know. And then it's like Jim Harbaugh announces teenager RJ Day as the new special teams coach replacing Jay Harbaugh, who went to Ohio State. He's the first tween to ever coach for a power five school um so anyway i guess they're not going to do that let's do this is run game this is real for the 947 it's andrew in dayton i've listened to all the bull crap that has nothing to do with what happened on the field let's talk about what happened on the field for the last two years the one concrete suggestion i would make is return to the physical mindset and a physical power running attack that's more north south than east west 
returned to a 2019 offensive philosophy that married the physical run game with an explosive passing attack. And then similar from the 3-1-0, there's no, uh, here's a new few new guys in the transfer portal solution. It's a complete programmatic failure. End the popcorn offense and run the dang ball. That means bigger, stronger backs, fullbacks, and athletic and nasty pulling guards. So I do think that point, right? If it's just like, it's like, what does that look like, Nathan? It's like, it's J.K. Dobbins. Like, what do you want it to be? It's like, I want it to be J.K. Dobbins. Get it to be J.K. Dobbins. There was a time earlier this year when people were like, ah, it doesn't even matter they didn't get B. John Robinson. We have our guys. And it was like, really? Is that what anybody's saying? It doesn't matter? It's like, imagine what this kid, team would have been with a healthy B. John Robinson, because that's even different than a healthy the guys they have, right? And if they were, if they had been healthy, it certainly would have been a different situation. But we know they wanted the backs who would hit it up inside. And they don't want, and then they, now listen, you run outside zone, you run some stretch plays. That's part of it, right? I mean, Nick Chubb's a physical back and they run those outside zones and hit cutback lanes and he runs over linebackers. So you can do some of that, but they want guys to hit a hole up inside. And I, and I do think in the end, like I, I do just maybe think that for what they want in the style of back, Nathan, it's not that Travion's not a great back, but I do think maybe just like in the next, you know, like just get a little more like Zeke, you know, physical Zeke is physical, man. Like Carlos Hyde is physical. Like, like JK was physical as a mamma jamma, right? I mean, he would run you over. So I, I, I don't think that's a terrible suggestion. And I don't think like Ohio State would disagree with that. So they just have to make sure they're getting guys who can do that. And then they have to make sure that they're designing plays for them to be able to hit it up inside. But I do think in the end, that's what they want to do. That's the ultimate style of this is like a, is like a horizontal vertical passing game that attacks you all over the field. And then when you hand it off, a guy hits a hole inside and runs somebody over. I do think that's what this looks like at its best. And I do think it's not really what it's been the last couple of years, both by design and by personnel. So I, I think this is reasonable and I don't think Ohio State would disagree. I, mean, I think a discussion topic that's going to linger into the start of next year is whether healthy Trevion Henderson and healthy Mayan Williams can still be that. And they're going to get that question all spring. They're going to get that question all preseason camp. And until they get on the field and prove it, they're going to keep getting that question. I mean, you go back to September 24th, the Wisconsin game. They combined a run for 221 yards, both over 100 yards. Like people back then at that point in the season weren't really complaining about how those guys were running the ball. It wasn't until they started getting banged up that the complaints started happening, even when it, and when they were trying to play through injury. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think how I feel about that, I it's, you can go any number of ways. Like we were talking about earlier, like was the right evaluation being made was Ohio state, you know, um, should it have made some other decisions as to who played and, and change the things around maybe, but I, that's going to linger out there that when you watch on film and see Trevin Henderson, not hitting those holes is it because he just as a as a because of who he is isn't going to hit that hole or is it because 2022 Trevor Henderson didn't feel like he could hit that hole and he'll be able to do it next year and I I don't know that this is a position where they're going to come in and grab somebody big in the portal to come in over the top so I think these are the guys between now and next fall do they get in their uh, brains that this is how they need to run the football I think some of this might just get fixed with being healthy. And I know that's, you know, sophomore, but um, part of the thing I do like about PFF is they have rushes by direction. And in 2021, they ran Henderson inside a lot. They ran him, 
you know, off the off the center, whether it was left or right, 27 and 25 oh. times, off the right guard, 29 times, uh, of his 183 rushes. And they have it broken down by what, what offensive line he bro- he ran off of. He would run off the left side a lot because that's when he had those home run hits. But a lot of it was inside, which is what – J.K. Dobbins was of his 301 runs in 2019, 55 of them were the left side of the center, and the 54 of them were the right side of the center. So that, that we're talking about what J.K. Dobbins did. They were doing that in 2021 with Trayvon Henderson. It's just he can't, couldn't do. He couldn't put his foot in the ground and then go hit that hole because I'm, I'm looking at it for this past year. His 106 runs. Off the center, it's down to 12 and 16. And now the outside runs are 19 and 19 apiece, whether it's left or right. So there's where you get that he wasn't able to hit some of those cutback lanes. So if if they're calling a lot of these same designed runs that they were calling with Dobbins, it's just for whatever reason, these guys weren't able to hit the hole, whether it's because they weren't seeing them or they weren't healthy. From that standpoint, the style of run is still there. They just need running backs who can hit the hole, which might just be, hey, Trayvon, get healthy so you can actually plant your foot into the ground. Travion's more talented than mine. Mine's bigger than Travion. I think like if you merge them together, that might be the ideal Ohio State back, right? That's kind of what it's mm. really is, right? That you've got all like the the speed and the explosion, but you're just in a bigger package. And JK was not that much bigger than Travion, but JK just I think was was physical, right? And so um For the record the though, inj- uh Zeke's fifty one outside and forty one outside run. A lot more often stretch plays outside runs than he was up the middle. And that 2014 season. So it's, but it's a, it's about a physicality, right? Yes. It's, a, it's about a well, physicality of, of, of the style of runner. And I do think maybe they just need uh, to keep that in mind. Just like get, get a really, maybe give up a little bit of explosion for a little more physicality. And to some extent, it's a mentality more than it is. You have to have no, certain physical size. Gifts, if you're but, two, no, you do. But if you're two inches taller and 15 pounds heavier, that helps your mentality. Yes, certainly. Right. But, uh, but, Okay, so I think that's reasonable. This is kind of quick hit. We don't need, if you guys have comments you want to add, that's fine. But we're going to run through a bunch of these from the 4-4-0. The emphasis needs to be Michigan. I understand winning a national championship in the Big Ten is important. But this offseason, there needs to be a banner hanging in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center that says, beat that team up north. The last time Ohio State had a banner hanging in the Woody Hayes, it read the chase. They actually have banners now that say, what do they say? They say, do they say tough and love? Yes. Does it yep. say tough love? And it says something on no, the other it says too. Tough, and I think the other one says love. Okay. Um, so they've had banners, but I am not against um, a Michigan banner. I'm not against a Michigan banner. Uh, this is a quick one from the 740. Make analytics a part of the in-game decision-making process. So I don't really know how much Ohio State does or does not use analytics, but that's kind of interesting. Uh, from the 949, Sonny Styles needs to play. I think he will. So I think that will uh, solve that problem. This is one we sort of talked about uh, before from the 513. Remove all ties to Urban, minus Ryan Day, obviously, and let Day make this program his own. I'd even suggest removing some of the rivalry hype that apparently isn't working anymore, i.e. Mm. punching bags with Michigan on them and some of the signage up at the whack. Heck, maybe even the countdown clock. Many of the kids Ohio State are currently recruiting just aren't going to be as enthusiastic about a rivalry they didn't go up living. Don't think any banner or clock will change that. So we have one pro banner, and then we have one take down the stuff that's already up because they do have like those blocking sleds that have like an M on them or whatever, right? So they do have some of that stuff. We did talk about sort of like separating yourself maybe from the urban era even a little bit more. We've talked about this. This is Rick and Buffalo. My concrete suggestion is to hermetically seal 
to save this for Michigan binder next season at all costs. C.J. Stroud had a long designed run at Northwestern when we all thought it might have been schemed up to surprise that team up north. The way the chips fell, losing to Northwestern might have cost um, might have cost us our season, but losing to Michigan almost assuredly did. It might not have cost us our season. It's almost like just if you lost Northwestern, who cares? You could have blamed the wind, but saved all the plays. I do think, Nathan, again, we talk about it a lot. Just the play that Michigan ran, I do think sort of emphasized the where's your Michigan play thing. And maybe the Michigan play was when they had like Xavier Johnson and Cade Stover in on fourth down and slipped Cade out. And that was like the play. And then they just didn't convert the pass. But I'm I'm not against the idea of have like even more special plays for Michigan because Michigan certainly had one for them. I, I kind of like to seal the binder, Nathan. I just I think you should have that in reserve for every big game. But uh, no, yeah, absolutely. That, that's I mean, not the same. It's not, not the, same. the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Every big game is not the same. You have nope. stuff for Michigan. Harbaugh didn't do that against, you know, he didn't save it for the national title game. You, it's he didn't it's, have it's different. Pop, yeah, he didn't have a running back pop pass in the Penn State game. Yeah. He I mean, saved that for the Ohio State game, game, obviously. But, no, I see what you're saying. I, I, I agree with I, what you're saying. This is on the other I, side from the 316. Go ahead, Stephen. You want to talk about saving a play? Yeah, I think – I, I'm for it, obviously, but I think you also maybe they did save it. I mean, there's now allegedly that fourth and five situation was supposed to be a fake punt, and Mason Arnold, who is stepping in as the backup long snapper because Bradley Robinson is out for the year, he just snapped it to the wrong person and threw off the play. But so maybe there there was there we're saving this for Michigan. If we're in a fourth and short situation headed into our own territory, we're going to throw up uh, have a fake punt here. And if you go look at it, they had a Mecca Buka. And Marvin Harrison, I believe, were in the game, and they're typically not in there as gunners. It's usually Jaden Ballard and Josh Proctor. So maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Who knows? Uh, even Jim Harbaugh believes it was. So that's where you saved something, but you've also got to have discipline and be able to execute it, which, as Nathan was saying earlier, Michigan executed stuff and Ohio State didn't. If players don't have the discipline and can execute it, it doesn't matter if you're saving stuff for the Michigan game. You might as well not even saved it because not only did you snap it to the wrong person, you had an illegal snap, and so now it's fourth and ten. So you trying to pull that off was never going to work anyway. Well, we're also not going to blame the backup walk-on long snapper. Who no, 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 Because no, the seventh-year no. long snapper got hurt earlier in the year. It, it, uh, no, but no, also, it's, a fake punt, I even think a fake punt is different. It, it shows aggression, but, like, everybody wants fake punts. It's like you want a fake punt sometimes. I, I want a special play on offense. I want, like, a thing. I want I want that Michigan play. I thought that Michigan mm. play was, like, exactly what we're talking about. That. Like, what do you mean, like, a special offensive play? I don't know where you hand off to the running back. That running back is a converted linebacker who played quarterback yeah. in high school. And I think they converted him to running back to run that play that week. Cameron that. Martinez needs to be on some sneak play as that's, a quarterback like who tosses a ball to CJ Stroud. Yes, I agree with that. So this is the other side of it from the 813. This might be a cop-out answer, but hear me out. I think aside from players executing, there isn't a single change that will help them beat Michigan. One thing that nobody is talking about is the Michigan teams of last year and this year are far better than most of the Michigan teams Trestle faced, especially after Lloyd Carr, and much better than the ones Urban went against aside from 2016. Going against Michigan now needs to be of the same mindset as going against Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, et cetera. Michigan and Ohio State are neck and neck now, and Michigan needs to be treated as such. I mean, we're talking about that constantly. So, like, the idea that no one's talking about that. We've been telling you how good Michigan is and that that's, that's real. From the 316, my suggestion, keep calm and carry on. The biggest difference in the rivalry is not that Ohio State is worse than previous years. It's that Michigan finally got back to not being a train wreck. Losing hurts, especially to Michigan, but they're good now. 
So are we. Don't overreact to the other side of the rivalry finally not being a disgrace to the rivalry. Keep recruiting, keep improving, keep developing, and let the dissatisfaction of the scoreboard feed your training. Billy and Candace, Nathan, you're nodding along. Do you sort of think like, do what you do, acknowledge Michigan is good, and just work your butt off for 365 days is closer to what you would suggest than maybe any of the more drastic things we've heard? was not trying to sink the premise of the podcast, but yeah, I'm, I'm much more in that camp that this was a situation where it, this was lost for football reasons uh, by football players on the football field. And I think there are things that you can do to enhance the football that you play, but it's, it's much more about that to me. That's the first solution I'm looking for before I look at some of these more peripheral things. And let's go back to the idea of the Michigan play. Like if Ohio State had better executed its non-Michigan plays, we wouldn't be asking where was their Michigan play. And we would be looking maybe even at Michigan's trick play as like, well, of course they had to do that. They had to get something going because Ohio State scored touchdowns on all those first half drives where they sometimes settle for field goals. Now Ohio State's up 31 to 17 at halftime or whatever or early second half and Michigan had to do something to try to get going like it, if, if Ohio State had just better executed and won one-on-one matchups better in this game that I don't think we're talking about where was their trick play so to me that's what this still comes back to and it's a lot it goes back to I was thinking about this Stephen when you were talking about some of the things that the former players have said I'd love to go back and count up how many of those former players played even one Michigan team as good as the ones mm-hmm. that Ohio State has played last year, let alone two. I'm not saying that people should be happy about losing mm-hmm. the game. I am not saying that at all. But it, that has to be part of your perspective. I've been saying that now for a month, and I know people don't like it, but it has to be part of your perspective, the quality of the team across the other side. I agree. Jim Trussell had the 06 game. Urban Meyer had the 2016 game, and a lot of those other Michigan teams stuck. I have all- – we have been having this discussion for a while, and I don't think, Nathan, you've been wrong. I just think that I knew that fans were going to react the other way, which was, why are we all of a sudden losing to Michigan when we should never be losing to Michigan? And it, it, it's going to take some time for them to get to a point of, as it, as this texture is saying, Michigan's good now. We have to approach this differently. But I knew off the bat there was going to be this crazy reaction because fans are not used to this anymore. They're not used to the competitive nature of it. But I do think we're, we're there now. We, we, it's going to be a foot. It's going to the person who wins this game every single year. It's going to be for football reasons because the talent is getting more equated every year. Michigan goes after five-star quarterbacks and top 100 recruits, just like Ohio state does at this point and gets them. I don't agree with that. I, I don't think it's only for football reasons. I think you guys are sucking too much out of it. I mean, of course the football matters like play better football. That's that's of course, of course. But I do think there's an approach. I think there's a a way you think about things. I think there's a way that you get yourself ready where you're you're amped up, but you're not too tight. There's a way you think about the opposition all year that I that I do think matters. And I do think you can't make all these documentaries about the rivalry and have people talk about the rivalry the way every single player and coach talks about the rivalry and have it really just be like, I ah, just play better football. Like no. I don't I don't think that's it. But that's what you guys just said. You guys just no. said play better football is most of the stuff. Yeah. Like, of course play better football, but I think like be ready for your rival in a way that's different than you're ready for any other opponent is also part of that. No, we're, I don't think we're tangible saying, and intangible. I don't think we're saying I'm. They lost on Saturday because of football reasons. They didn't lose because one team was 
culturally and emotionally more invested than the other one was. That might have been the case last year. And even the players on this team admitted that, that maybe they weren't as invested in this rivalry as they needed to be. They lost on Saturday because one team played better football than the other team played. Okay. I, don't, I mean, like, how do you say that? How do we know that, like, the intangible thing didn't contribute to how the football was played, right? I mean, J.J. McCarthy made some plays. Also, J.J. McCarthy, like, said in high school he wanted to kill Ohio State and seemed like a baller, man. Like, I think, like, J.J. McCarthy, like, wanted to kill Ohio State. I think maybe he wanted to kill Ohio State more than anybody on Ohio State wanted to kill Michigan because he was mad. He took it personally. They didn't pick him in recruiting, whatever, the rivalry, right? I'm not saying that's it. I'm not saying that's number one. But I think like that can make you play better football. And I do think that 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 matters. And I do think it can be overemphasized. And it's everything we talked in the Rants pod. Like you can't have your whole roster be from Ohio and you can't fire Ryan Day because he's from New Hampshire. But I do think there are intangible things here that like to to try to act like it's just like any other big game and just play better football. I, I do think is not it. I do think that is it's more complicated than that. But you're also striking there with the idea of the McCarthy thing. Sometimes there are intangible impacts on the game that you can't control. Like, technically, yes, they could have recruited. Yeah, so they have some intangible impacts that the other side can't control. Like, have, have some guys who hate, I don't know, just like get hate Michigan for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's it wasn't like Michigan went out looking for a guy who would hate Ohio State. That's just how that worked out. You guys, I, I don't know, Nathan. You talk about this rivalry like a, it's you're so pragmatic. Like, don't don't you feel it now? Haven't you felt this? Maybe you need to read the two thousand texts from the people who are flipping I think out. It's, I I think, and I'm trying to tell people to calm down, but I think you're almost too calm. I watched the game. Like, I watched who beat who on the field. Okay. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back and talk about the last two things that I think are. Very interesting. One is like my number one thing, and one is the thing that everybody brought up. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back. This is takeaway play calling from Ryan Day. And I saved it because there's three versions of this. This is one of them from the 614. Hire a bright young assistant to call plays. So that is like go get somebody. And and the, uh, the version of this that someone else brought up is, this is our guy, Evan, in Oregon. 2023 Ryan Day needs his own 2018 Ryan Day. A young, aggressive, next-generation offensive mind that can obsess this, that can obsess about this offense without the burden of other head coach duties. Okay. And he said that person might be Brian Hartline. So the idea of, like, get a young, fresh mind to help Ryan Day. Some people say, make it Hartline. Ryan Day needs to hire someone who he trusts to take over play calling. My suggestion is to keep Hartline, promote him, and allow him to be the play caller. Keeps him happy and content at Ohio State and allows Ryan Day to focus focus more on being a head coach. That's from the 513. So there's like, bring in an outsider. There's there's give it to Hartline. This is a combination of Hartline. This one was interesting from the 330. Give up play calling maybe to Brian Hartline. That keeps him at Ohio State. And then promote Keenan Bailey to wide receivers coach. They are both excellent recruiters. I do know that Ryan Day, I think, really respects Keenan Bailey. Mm-hmm. And for a young guy, he has a voice in this offense. And I am potentially interested in what if Keenan Bailey's voice got louder. Now, I also don't like promoting the guy down the hall just because he's down the hall. 
But there are some specific things that Keenan Bailey has done. He's mapped out some things about play calling tendencies and things you do against different defenses. And he and Ryan Day worked on this very kind of complex chart this entire offseason that kind of boils down a lot of what they do and makes them very adaptable um, week to week to take this gigantic playbook back they have that they have and apply it in certain ways. So a world where sort of like you create opportunities where maybe Heartline's kind of more than the receivers coach, which makes Keenan Bailey the receivers coach, which gives Keenan Bailey even more input. I, I find that interesting. There's also this one. Kevin Wilson's sitting right there, man. He's sitting right there. Let Kevin <laughs> Wilson call the plays from the 517. I'm getting to it. Listen, I see you, Stephen. I, I, I took an hour to map out everything. So, like, when you lean into the microphone and you're, like, making faces at me. I'm oh, I was just playing. listening it's, along and agreeing. Getting to Kevin Wilson. Don't I'm, just, like, a, I'm just agreeing I'm with the, the texture. I'm allowed to agree with the texture. He's been a head coach. But like, okay, I'm allowed to agree five, with the texture, though. Seven. Ryan Day stays just as involved in the offense as he is now. But game day, Kevin Wilson calls the plays. So, that there is, like, a lot of that. That is the number one thing. So, Stephen, do you think, A, that Ryan Day should give up play calling? And if he did, which option would you vote for? Kevin Wilson, Brian Hartline, or somebody from the outside calling plays on game day next year? Kevin Wilson should be the play caller, but I do think the Keenan Bailey thing was interesting because I think both of those guys are very overqualified for the jobs that they're currently in. I do think, like, Hartline got a promotion to do more pass game stuff, right? This, this He's like the, the pass game uh, coordinator. But you can see, like, again, I, w- I was in there with them, and, like, c- certain guys, like Kevin Wilson, Justin Fry, Tony Alford, they're really involved in the run game, and then when it's, like, time to really talk about the pass game, it's day and heartline. They really do talk about that. But then, like, there's just not as much crossover, right? There's crossover mm-hmm. for day because he's the head coach. But the other guys are just a little more specific about things. I mean, it's in their title. Coordinator, right? Like, you're a coordinator of a part of the offense. So, um I, I I don't – I mean, there are people who want Brian Hartline to be the head coach tomorrow, and it's like I, – I know what you're saying. I get that he's from Ohio and he played at Ohio State. I think, Nathan, it might be a little – I don't know. I don't know if it's a stretch for Brian Hartline to be that guy right now, especially when you have a guy like Kevin Wilson who's been one of the guys who helped shape modern college football offense for the last 20 years. Um, what do you think about Ryan Day calling plays, and should who should it be if it's not him? I think it's definitely worth the conversation that I hope they're having, but it's it's a weird thing because like Ryan Day is the one who needs to have the conversation. Like we've talked before about, you know, if if people think that like Gene Smith is going to come in and tell Ryan Day not to call plays anymore, I don't see that happening because that's one of the reasons why Ryan Day is who he is and does what he does in this offense. So that would surprise me. Um, so then it's it has to be a um, epiphany that Ryan Day has on his own to give that up. And I was reading a piece today that was written um, in the L.A. Times about a decade ago. might have been – what was his name? Chris Dufresne. Is that his name, Doug? Does that sound right? Um, had written a piece about how coaches – The late Chris Dufresne. Yeah, yeah, L.A. Times. Yeah, a lot yeah. of coaches who um, who give up that – like I have a hard time giving that up. Like it's a hard thing to let go of. And I think it would be a very hard thing for Ryan Day to let go of. And so I do think, though, the op- the idea of guys on staff makes sense to me, but Heartline would be, like, no higher than – I mean, 
he would be behind Wilson, and we don't really have any reason right now to think that Brian Hartline would be a better play caller than either Tony Alford or even Justin Fry, who had the offensive coordinator title at UCLA, even though it was much like at Ohio State where Chip Kelly is calling those plays. But I, I, we're in a weird thing when we talk about Brian Hartline, where people are like so terrified to lose him that they want to give him as many promotions as they can, whether he uh, is actually qualified or more even more qualified than the guys they have on staff to do those things. He's fantastic at what he does. I think you also don't want to mess that up either if you can avoid it. So I'll be curious where this goes. I do think it's hard to give it up. I don't know. I have not looked this up. Somebody sent a text, uh, a new texter, and I thanked them for it, that they said the last team to win a national title with the head coach calling offensive plays was Steve Spurrier for Florida in 1996, which which feels like what? But again, you think about, well, Nick Saban's well, not doing it, and Dabo Sweeney's not doing it, and they've mm-hmm. taken up a lot of the titles. Yes. So like maybe – so it's, we'll have to check that. I think it's, it's that, but then I saw a stat somewhere. It's the play caller being on the field, offensive play caller is not really a thing for teams who are winning nationals because you know, Tony Elliott was up in the box. You know, uh, Sarkeesian, when he was at Alabama, was up in the box. The guys mm. saving that before that are up in the box. Being – you just uh, – defensively, whatever. It's uh, Guys are all over the place. It's a different type of thing. But there is something with offensive play calling. You're up in the sky that is is a little – it's a little different. So I I, I, I got to go find that stat again. But I thought that was interesting as well. It's a combination of when's the last time a head coach was also a play caller and won a national title, but then also when's the last time your offensive coordinator, your lead play caller was on the field versus up in the box. And since Kevin Wilson is already up there, Keenan Bailey's already up there, Brian Hartland's also on the field. That's the th- – it's, it's – yeah. Kevin Wilson's the only guy who is in there talking offense who isn't on the field. So he's already bringing a different perspective from game day that maybe that's where the voice, that's where the final decision needs to come from because all of this discussion is already on the field. What if the guy who has the final say is the guy who is up in the sky? And again, it's the, it's the game plan that you make during the week and, and talking to Ryan Day about this offense. It's a lot of what he brought and he married it with what was here, right? I mean, the, this mm-hmm. version of the Ohio State offense is not like the pure Ryan Day, like Chip Kelly, what I, you know, was doing at Boston College or or Temple or with the Eagles or with the 49ers when he was a quarterback's coach. It's not that. It's it's what he thought and believed and then what he added to what they were doing here at Ohio State. And now that's what that is now. So it would still be, as always, as Urban Meyer always said, it's the Urban Meyer offense, but just someone else calls it. You know, Urban still has veto power, all that kind of thing. I mean, you absolutely could put Ryan in that spot. And I think he has to think about it. So I think uh, with the three of us are in agreement that it at it, it least has to be a conversation this offseason. Last two. This was one, and I don't know about this. I know that Tony Alford would like to be a head coach someday. That is not a surprise. Justin Fry, right? Nathan would like mm-hmm. to be a head coach someday. Yep. I would imagine Brian Hartline would like to be a head coach someday, right? So there's, that is not an uncommon thing. Perry Eliano, I bet, wants to be a head coach someday. So we get it. It's not an uncommon thing. But, you know, maybe Tony would be interested like in an opportunity. I know he's looked at some in the past. From the 810, too many to list just one, but it seems like they could use some of the passion from the Trestle Urban era, former players that have been coaching with an interest in coaching. I feel like Tony Alford will be leaving this offseason. Do you guys know of a guy that could take over that room, maybe shore up the recruiting? So um, I, this is like, so it's just a texture saying, what if Tony Alford leaves? So I, if that would happen, because Tony went for a job somewhere, I got a guy and I kind of got excited about it. And as much as I'm like, hey, you can't only hire guys from Ohio and you can't only recruit guys from Ohio. This guy's actually not from Ohio. He's from Philadelphia. And he is coaching right now. And you would be able to give him a raise because I looked it up and I think he's only making 400 grand at his, at his coaching job right now. 
And he does know Ohio State running backs. So I'm just saying, if Tony Alford leaves for a job, I'd hire Eddie George. Am I excited about that? I'm going to hire Eddie George. I mean, if, if Eddie George coach at Tennessee if, State, if Eddie George wanted to take a step down from there, but I mean, you can give him enough titles, you step can make down, him associate like, head but, coach, like triple his salary. Well, to step down, just triple title. salary, step down in title. Yeah. Um, no, right. He's not a head coach, but right. Might help his career. I mean, that's my big. That's in, what, in that's the, my, so in theory, if Brian Hartline, a former. Ohio State wide receiver and NFL wide receiver can do what he's doing in that room. What would Eddie George, former Heisman Trophy running back, NFL running back, is he in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. Um, all pro, okay, Hall of Fame. Yeah, I like it. I mean, you so wouldn't have I'm to not, worry about you wouldn't have to worry about the next time a Bijan Robinson uh, silently commits end up going somewhere else because who who better to learn how to play running back from than a Heisman Trophy winner? Who's a coach? He's also a coach. A coach. Right? He's a coach right now. It's not like you'd have to like, this isn't like, oh, you got to pull him off a Broadway stage and tell him to come coach. He's, he's leading a program right now. So here's my last one. This was my number one thing. Uh, from the seventh world, hire Jim Tressel as special consultant to the head coach. From the 614, hire an analyst who does nothing but analyze Michigan and figures out the best way to attack them in all three phases of the game. That's from Chris, not Beanie Wells. And from the 312, hire a full-time schematic researcher or a team of them and do nothing but watch their films and design counter ideas. So I can imagine, I would, I would task the, uh, Nathan, the Ohio State video team with this, and I would see a door, and on the door, the nameplate says, Rivalry Coach. And you start, like, playing the song, and you start, like, maybe, like, running some film from old Ohio State Michigan things. And then you start running the Jim Trestle speech from the first time he was introduced to the fans and promised what Ohio State would do and how they would represent the, the university when they went to Ann Arbor. And you zoom in on rivalry coach, and then the door opens, and Tress is in there watching film. He's retiring as the president of Youngstown State, and now that Christina M. Johnson is resigning as the president of Ohio State, I mean, I think the entire internet right now <laughs> is Jim Trestle be the president of Ohio State. I don't think that Ohio State would hire as its president a man they once had to fire as its head coach for breaking NCAA rules, <laughs> forced to resign. Um, and, and like, we're not relitigating that. That's just a fact, right? So I just don't think it would happen. But Jim Tressel, when he was here, when they redesigned the Woody, he made an office for Earl and an office for Coop. And it was very specific about that. He wanted them in there. Nathan... Jim Tressel, rivalry coach. I am 0% kidding. I think it would help with motivation. I think that, and the thing about Tress, Tress, he can like run a university. He's an old back of the napkin schemer, just like Ryan Day is. That's the thing about Tress. Well, like people want to like, he's like, he, he wants, he loves the nitty gritty football stuff. He does. He, lo he wants to get down and dig into film. It's just, he was also a culture and a big picture and a very pragmatic guy. But he would want – I think he would do it. Now, I don't know where they're going to go live. I don't know what their plans are. I don't know if they have sold their house in Columbus or, or he and Ellen or they kept it. I don't know. But Jim Trussell rivalry coach is my number one thing, Nathan, that I would do both for football and intangible reasons. I can get behind that. I mean you have pretty much unlimited resources to bring those those sort of under uh, under the – 
what do you want to say, the lower level people in and uh, you're not limited by NCAA rules and things like that. And I think this would be a good use of that. You can um, bring someone in that has a, a presence and I think he probably does still have a presence. Now, just the same as hiring him as the president, which is obviously making him the face of the university. Are you going to bring someone back to your football program who you had to fire for NCAA violations, even though it's a thing that's legal now? I don't know. Yes, you are. Yeah, you are. It, I mean, they, 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 yeah, they, they don't have no job. For starters, I think it'd be hilarious if Gene Smith's boss is somebody he wants had to fire. Just from the sake of optics, it'd be hilarious. But the, I like the idea of Jim Trussell having an office in there and being the rivalry coach or whatever you want to – maybe you don't call it the rivalry coach, but rivalry consultant, whatever. The no, other I already part, made the nameplate. I already made it. Oh, you got it? Rivalry coach. Okay. Well, then, I yeah. didn't have room to fit rivalry consultant on uh, the plate, so I didn't okay. coach. Well, Sorry. then, yeah, we'll rock with it, the rivalry coach. The other part of it, though, the whole have an analyst – first of all, there's a bunch of analysts walking around Ohio State right now. I don't know if they don't already do that or – or they don't – I don't know if they do or don't, but just have a guy who's paying attention to Michigan. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But maybe if they don't, they mean, yeah, they probably should have an analyst. If you're going to have that many walking around the facility, just focus on what Michigan's doing all year. And then the week of the Michigan game, that Sunday, he walks in with like four binders of just stuff that he's been doing all year. And it's finally his time. But, yeah, I love the Jim Trestle robbery coach idea. I love – yeah, bring the coaches back. Day, I, I do. I have, I have zero knowledge of the relationship between Ryan Day and Jim Tressel. And obviously, Ryan Day was brought here by Urban Meyer, and and and, and I don't know that Urban and Tressel were like, mm-hmm. you know, had what kind of relationship they had. But I do think Day and Tressel have some things in common. I do think Day is actually uh, maybe a little more like Tressel than he is like Urban. And like Luke Fickle, right, worked for Urban and Trestle, but he's more like Trestle than he is like Urban. But Trestle managed, while having that senatorial um, facade, to be a guy who absolutely was all about getting after Michigan. And again, he likes to scheme it up. And he lined up Ted Ginn Jr. as a tight end in the rival game. So I just, I, I think there could be a lot to that. And I think, from an intangible standpoint, Nathan, I think it would reset things. I do. I have that vision in my head of the video. If they just released the video under a tweet that said new hire and they released that 45 second video, it's not, it's not it like, like they lost in 2011 and they hired urban like four days later. And it was like, it wiped the loss away. It wouldn't wipe the last two losses away, but I think it would give this program an absolute, Football and intangible jolt. Can you imagine how people would react to this? Former players, fans, current players, Ryan Day and that staff. I, I, I'm all in. I definitely think there'd be a jolt. What does he do then? The next 364, or how he days does nothing but but prepare over for the Michigan game. Starts over. He watches all Ohio State's tendencies. He watches the the last two. Ohio State, Michigan games a, a million times, and then he watches all every game that that Michigan has played in the Harbaugh era a million times, and he comes up with the game plan for what's the best way to attack these guys. Where are their weak spots? And then once the season starts next year, then you're digging in specifically, obviously, on every bit of film that they're doing. Which again, I, I would imagine they are doing that to some degree. But who better to do it than Jim Trestle? Yeah, I, I do think that that is to some extent are already happening. Not to the extent you're talking about, where it's a guy who would obsess about it maybe every single day. But I think they 
I think they had broken down the film plenty for this game. Oh, maybe you give him and his I, own staff and he can even focus on the Michigan recruiting and all that stuff. It's just his job is think, Michigan. Yeah. I also I would have what I would call treshens, which are treshel, treshel, trestle sessions. And each player, all 105 guys on the roster, over the course of the next 52 weeks, would have an hour where they would go in and just talk with the legend and talk about what it is to be a Buckeye, what it is to play and to coach in the rivalry game, to be part of this. And you just absorb some trust. Man, the guy's putting out little quotes on Twitter every day. He's dropped some knowledge to drop. So I would have it be both tangible and intangible film and storytelling. And I would do it tomorrow. And I would, I might tell Ryan Day, he should do it. Okay. Those are the suggestions from the texters. We appreciate you guys helping us figure out where Ohio State maybe can go from here. Uh, We got more ahead. We'll have a gambling show this week. I'm not sure what the Thursday pod's going to be, but we'll figure it out. But for now, uh, if you want to try the text so you can like do stuff like this, 614-350-3315. And of course, we'd invite you to go read cleveland.com slash OSU. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.